Hey, welcome to Common Ground Church Bloberg. We are so delighted that you've joined us. We're a church committed to filling our hearts and our world with the life of Jesus. We do this by pursuing His presence, by being formed into His image, and then by loving the world on the mission He's called us to. Hey, if you've got any further questions about who we are or what we're up to, why don't you check out our website at cgbloberg.co.za. Enjoy the message. We trust it'll serve you in your journey of finding and following Jesus. This morning, I had the privilege of reading Genesis 2, verses 8 to 9 and 16 to 17, and Genesis 3, verses 1 to 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Thanks a lot, uh, Helena. I love the reverse psychology. If you want to make men participate in a survey, just put a bunch of flowers. <laughs> and I'm sure they will. Um, why don't we pray? Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of being in your presence. And in this time, as we turn to your word, I ask... Um, that God has, the prophet Isaiah speaks, lift up your eyes on high and see that God, by the empowering of your spirit and in the light of your word, that you would cause the eyes of our hearts to look up on high and see, and see you, and see you for who you are. Once you do that, God, in your love and mercy, do good to us in this time, we pray. Amen. So, a couple of weeks ago, um, Jolene and I went on an aquatic adventure with our two boys to the aquarium at the waterfront. So, picture this right at the gates 
of the aquarium, two married accountants involved in what I shall call a spirited debate, debating about the crucial decision of whether to splurge on season tickets or to go for the classic one-off entry. Never mind two very impatient young boys kicking at our heels as we got deep into it, debating the pros and, and cons and even doing permutations about how many weekends in a year that we could actually use these tickets. Never mind the existential question of what happens on those precious weekends that I get to be away on business. So do I get in on that deal or is this just for Joe and the boys? Before you give up on us, we eventually sorted ourselves and got to go through the gates of the aquarium. What an epic experience. Kind of makes you forget about all those permutations about tickets, right? No matter how many times you've wandered through those aquatic aisles, it's that kind of place that just blows you away and leaves you in awe. Even up to today, I can't get over the sight of this little blue tang fish and the radiance and the sharpness of its blue coat as it glides through the water. It's almost like you're seeing liquid sapphire. I have never been wowed by a little fish like I did on that day. Maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking to yourself, nah, aquarium's not my thing. What really gives me goosebumps, what really wows me is the miracle of birth. Holding this little life, it looks so fragile yet so perfect. Or maybe it's the ice-cool 50-meter penalty kick by Hundra Pollard that gets us right into the Rugby World Cup Finals with a one-point margin. Or maybe for you, it's the sound of a perfect melody. Or if you're like Mike Isles, it might be the stillness of a night sky whilst you're away camping. Or even perhaps that fresh smell of a fresh brew of coffee. Whatever it is that wows you, whatever it is that fills you with maybe even tears and wonder. I wonder, as we see those things or as we experience those things, I wonder how many times you and I have stopped, paused, and ever thought, these things, they are but shafts of glory, as C.S. Lewis puts it. They point beyond themselves. They are meant to make us enjoy not only the object of glory, but the source of glory. That they were not just made to wow us, to fill us with wonder for the, so for the sake of it, but they are meant to point you and I 
to someone, to someone greater, to someone wondrous, to someone more awesome, more satisfying and worthy of worship. You might be sitting here this morning and maybe saying to yourself, even the thought of awe and wonder is a luxury for me. I am buried in the grind of life. I have so many things to worry about. I am numb to awe and wonder. Just look around, look at all the suffering and hardship that we find around ourselves. Think of the conflict in Sudan, in Ukraine, or even what's happening in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas. Or even right in our own backyard, think, think in our own backyard, think about the gang wars that's, that are happening in some parts of this beautiful city that we call home where parents have to wait past midnight as they brave the silence when the gunfire has stopped so that they can just but only be able to retrieve the lifeless bodies of their kids caught in crossfire. Coming from school, going around the corner, just to get some gummies. There is war around us. We live in a battlefield. But have you ever considered that all the wars that we see around us, all the battles that we see around us, that shape the course of history, that shape societies, that shape nations and neighborhood? that shape our daily decisions, that shape the outcome of our lives, are only but a manifestation of the war that rages in our own hearts. That our hearts are the ultimate battlefield where we find ourselves being filled with awe with things that shouldn't captivate our hearts and we find ourselves not being enthralled by the very thing that should fill us with awe. And we find ourselves loving more what we should love less or loving less what we should love more. The war of oh. This morning, as we turn to our main text, we find a more clearer and more helpful picture of when this war started right at the beginning of creation in the Garden of Eden. Well, there's a lot to be said about this, but this morning we're just going to see this through the lenses, mainly of Genesis 3. But before we peel the layers, what is the root 
of this emotion. The emotion that is like a, a melting pot that blends in different proportions depending on what's in front of us. Fear, reverence, and amazement. Well, if we turn a few pages away from Genesis 3 that um, was just read and we go right to chapter 1, what we see, far from a God who stands over his creation with a blank face as it were, with no emotion as it were, we see a God who delights. We see a God who takes pleasure in his creation. We see a God who appreciates the beauty of his creation. That six times in verses 4, verse 10, verse 12, verse 18, 21, and 25, we see a God who stands back, as it were. And as he takes stock of his creation, the Bible tells us that, and he saw that it was good. Like the cherry on the top in Verse 31, we are told that he did not only see that it was good. The Bible goes on to tell us that when God saw everything that he had made, behold, it was very good. So God appreciates the wonder and the magnificence of what he had brought into existence. And the psalmist in Psalm 104 tells us that the reason that is so is because creation is an expression, because creation is a celebration of the unmatched power of God. It's a celebration of his glory and his wisdom. So much so that he ends Psalm 104 verse 31 by saying, May the Lord rejoice in his works. So God is not just only a source of wonder and magnificence that God appreciates and he expresses wonder and magnificence. The second thing is that there is something fundamental that we see in Genesis 1 verse 25, or verse 26 rather. We're told that God made you and I, made all of humanity in his Likeness. The Bible says that then God said, let us make men, you and I, in our image, in our likeness. Because we are made in the likeness of God, you and I, we have a God-given capacity for all. So when we trek now to our main text and we go to Genesis 3, 
if no matter the half-truths and the full lies that the serpent whispered in Eve's, eye, in Eve's ear, she on her own had the capacity to be all struck. And verse 6 tells us that when she saw the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, among other, among other things, she saw that it was a delight to the eyes. So you and I, just like Eve, we do not need much prompting or much nudging for us to be all struck. As we look at a beautiful tree, we just say to ourselves, wow, that is so beautiful. I think of about 14 years ago, Jolene and I, before we um, got engaged, um, we decided to um, not only visit um, and for me to introduce myself to her parents, we decided to take a road trip of a lifetime to Zimbabwe. You'd appreciate it was a road trip of a lifetime uh, because in five days we covered 6,000 Ks. And um, part of the T's and C's that Jolene didn't read well or that maybe I put so much in small letters was that going to see my parents was not just my mom and dad, that it was seeing the whole clan, that even that granny that lives five k's away from my house, and she kept on saying, but I thought you said your mom's, your dad's mom passed away, but you've introduced me to like 30 grannies, and you keep calling them all grannies. And I had to remind her that where I come from, if I was playing 5Ks away from home and I caused some mischief, they would give me a hiding, they would feed me, and they would take care of me. So you can imagine we're driving. So we drove through the night from Cape Town and we hit Limpopo on a hurry, tired, and just can't wait to get to Zim. As we are driving, we see these amazing barbab trees. With half-awake eyes, we look at each other, and we were just like, wow, isn't that so beautiful? And one comes after another, and another after another. Completely blown away. And I think what's even cooler, as my eight-year-old likes to say, in that moment, I'd imagine God looking down and saying to us, it's beautiful, isn't it? Well, I've enjoyed this since I called all this into existence. But as you go through Genesis 3, it kind of poses the question, doesn't it? Why would God make this tree of the knowledge of good and evil to be also beautiful, to be also awesome? Is there some cruel trick 
that God would make this tree and say, don't even dare touch it. Genesis 2, verse 16 to 17. You shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die, declares the Lord. What is happening here? Why would God do that? I think at a deeper level, far from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil being this spell-binding, oversized weed that ruins everything for all of us, I think in God's wisdom, it was an opportunity. What do you mean? I think by Eve and Adam refusing to eat of this tree was an opportunity to express fear and reverence and wonder to God as the only one who's truly worthy of fear and reverence and wonder. That no matter how everything else looks so beautiful, only Him is worthy of ultimate wonder. So instead of Eve standing back as it were and saying to the serpent, who could make a tree like that? Surely he is more desirable than any other desirable thing. Surely he is more beautiful than any other beautiful tree Eve chose the beauty of creation and all its promises over the beauty of the Creator. I wonder this morning for you in this season of your life, what is the one thing of beauty? or two, or three, or more, that is taken the place of God in your heart. That perhaps you, perhaps you say to yourself, I will do anything, anything in capital letters, if only I could have that. Well, I might have to maybe... Say a small little lie here and there. It's amazing how we size and color code sin depending on what's in front of us. Or maybe I might have to step a, a few toes. They, they will get over it. What is that one thing that you'd say? I've got to experience this. We only live once. If I don't have this, I will be a failure. Life will not be worthy living. I can't lose this. Nobody will love me. Nobody will respect me. But why is all this so important. 
if we trek along Genesis 3, we later on realize that far from the promise of being wise, far from the promise of being equal to God, even Adam's disordered or awakens separation from God, it awakens death and despair, it awakens nakedness and shame. Augustine of Hippo, one of the most influential theologians of the early centuries, would write in AD 401 in his Confessions that wherever the soul of man turns, unless towards God, it cleaves to sorrow. Even though the things outside God and outside itself to which it cleaves may be things of beauty. Beloved of God, what captivates your heart, what enthralls you, will ultimately shape your life. If you are awed by the praise of others more than the affirmation of God, you will find yourself, your worth being shattered when people don't praise you enough. You might find yourself not being in the moment, not savoring moments or marking moments well, as Andy reminded us last week. Because you just want to take a selfie so that you can post on Facebook or Instagram. And when you've done that, you wait all day waiting for likes or, or comments. And we never get to really savor and enjoy moments in our lives. Or perhaps we begin to fear correction. We begin to fear being vulnerable. And we find ourselves in relationships that are superficial, that are never really deep. Or perhaps if you are, if you are captivated by material things, more than the satisfaction in God, you might find yourself stealing, envying others, getting into unnecessary debt. You might even exploit others to get more money so that you can have more of this and bigger of that. I think of the story of a guy called Marcus Person. Marcus Person is the man who founded the game Minecraft. For the ungamified, Minecraft is simply a game that allows you to 
build your own empire, sounds cool, doesn't it? With Lego-like blocks. But instead of fiddling with plastic blocks, you get to play with pixelated blocks on a computer screen or on a TV screen. A story is told that when Marcus sold Minecraft to Microsoft for 47 billion rand, one of the things that Marcus did was he went and he bought himself a big house. It's probably an understatement. He bought himself a mansion worth 1.3 billion rand. And he would go on to say, I have never felt so isolated in my life. Beloved of God, if we are to ask the hard question, if we are to go below the surface, we will find that perhaps the ultimate reason for some of our sorrows, perhaps the ultimate reason for why nothing satisfies, for why we find ourselves restless, is that there is something that has taken the place of God as the supreme awe in our lives. God created us with a capacity for all that only He can fill. And Augustine would go on to pray to God and say, You have made us for Yourself and our hearts are restless until they find Rest in you. Augustine's words ring so true of what happens when we lose our wonder in God. And we find ourselves wandering through life, perhaps without direction, perhaps without purpose and passion. And we end up turning to small pleasures just to numb our hearts and take the edge off. Beloved of God, we were made for more. An old philosopher, Howard Parsons, suggested that there is a, a linguistic connection between the English word wonder and the German word Wunder. I don't know if I pronounce it correctly for the German-speaking people in our congregation. And Wunder simply means wound. Or for those who are joining us, uh, the contenders joining us from the parents' room, it means an awi. So... In essence, to be, in essence, to be wonderstruck or to be filled with awe is, he goes on to say this, is to be wounded by the sword of the strange event, to be stabbed awake by the striking. Maybe to be wounded with wonder 
wonder in God is what our numb hearts need. God, wound me with fear of you, or else I be wounded with fear of death, or else I be wounded with fear of man, or else I be wounded with a fear of what happens if I lose my job, what happens if my business fails. God, wound me with a fear of you. Or else I'll be wounded with the fear of the future. Or else I'll be wounded with the fear of the future of this country. Or else I'll be wounded with the fear of the future of my kids. God, I fear you, but wound me with the right fear of you. Not fear of punishment, but the kind of fear that we see in the classic book, The Wind in the Wheelers, where we have these two characters, the mole and the rat. And when these two characters get to meet the animal's deity called God the Pan, and they see him playing his pipes, they are completely Stunned. They're so much stunned that they are filled with fear. And when Moore finally manages to somewhat compose himself, he utters with fear, Rat, are you afraid? And Rat murmurs back, to more and he says afraid with his eyes filled with astounding love and reverence he says afraid of him oh never never yet and yet oh red i am afraid To tremble with love and reverence. To tremble with love and reverence before an awesome God who created incredible and amazing things. Yet he stoops down to you and I and he says to us, you are loved, you are loved, you are accepted, you are accepted. Nothing, nothing, nothing will ever take my love for you that is in Christ Jesus. As I conclude, Eve, like even Adam, all of us will be wounded as we walk through this life. Wounded by fleeting pleasures, robbed of real awe, numbed from expecting more. Yet God in his mercy and love has provided a greater tree, 
a tree that is more beautiful, that its radiance is the exact representation of God's glory. Its fruit is life-giving. Its leaves cover nakedness and shame. And that greater tree is Jesus. The tree that Isaiah saw in Isaiah 11, and he writes, There shall come a time when a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. In verse 10, in that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal for the peoples of whom shall nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. Part of verse 11. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time. And that God says in Jesus, Look unto me and be saved. All the nations, there is no other God, none else. Isaiah 45, verse 2. Beloved of God, experiencing the wonder of God in the greater tree, Jesus, has the power to resurrect our dead hearts, has the power to revive our numb hearts, has the power to redeem us from the wounds of life apart from God. I don't know about you. I want to be wounded by that tree. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Can I ask that we stand? And as the band comes up, There is an invitation this morning to move towards our greater tree, Jesus. Perhaps for you this morning, it's the very first step. But maybe for some of us, we have taken that step before. And there is an invitation to more. There is an invitation to more, to yet again enjoy his life-giving fruit. I don't know what wounds you this morning. But as the band sings, as we get into a time of extended worship, I want to encourage you, do business with God this morning. Do not leave with a wound of despair, do not leave with any other wound apart from the wound of the greater tree that gives life, that covers shame, 
that covers Thanks guilt. Thanks so much for joining us today. In Common Ground Bloberg, we prize seeing information turned into revelation. In other words, a deep heart understanding of what we've heard. Why don't you take a moment now to just prayerfully consider what information have you heard that you're trusting God to take deep into your heart and turn into revelation that'll shape your life. Have a fantastic day.